0: Hey, uh, I know with the impending um, uh, end of the semester with cloud cover rolling over, and I think many of us have been looking forward to the fall and the cooler weather, but still when clouds uh, come on and the end of the semester hits, um, you know, I, I have this experience in my history. It actually, it might have been the second time I ever preached at the house. I think I, I, I gave a sermon on friendship, and I talked about how every year for like the previous 10 years between November and February uh, stuff hit the fan. In my life, and it's just like this miserable four months, um, that that uh, you know, whatever. And, and it's not, it's fitting, I suppose, looking at Advent, which is this period of time that the church looks forward to Christmas. Advent is in the history of the church a season of mourning, um, and lament, and so people fast and around the world. Uh, we don't, we're in America, we eat, but um, but but that's a, a bit convicting, anyway. Um, uh but, but this time of the year is often just comes with some junk. I mean, I, most of you um, in the room, and my experience leads me to believe that going home can be stressful, uh, that family dynamics can be kind of tough, and big decisions loom, and all these kinds of things. And in the midst of that, one of the things that we're tempted to do is to make really bad decisions. And so, guys, sorry to call you out. This is my, one of my gigs here. Uh, is, or my temptations uh, is like video games. Um, that's tough. And it's not surprising to me that massive video game releases happen in the fall or before Christmas. And it's because I think a lot of college men um, thinking about finals instead drop 65 bucks, even though they say they're poor, on a video game uh, and then play it nonstop and then flunk classes. And so 30% of freshmen drop out um, before the semester. We make bad decisions. Netflix shows roll out and we stay in bed all day. We skip class, you know, we str- And listen, this is real tough, but please don't make bad decisions right now. Um, it will help you in the long run. Some good decisions are coming up soon, I hope. Um, I, I asked, a, we did a video maybe a while ago called Letters to a Freshman. I think that's what it was called. It's probably somewhere on YouTube or I don't know where it is. Um, but we asked a bunch of recently graduating students if they had advice for freshmen. And one of my favorite pieces of, adv- pieces of advice came from Bar- Brian Soloski what a great name, um, when asked during a trivia night at the house, on a Tuesday night, there was like a trivia section, and you had to like press a buzzer or whatever, one of the questions was, where's the first time Jesus comes up in the Bible, and he goes, boom, Genesis, no, dang it, anyway, whatever, um, and I just think about that and with endearment, um, but uh, Brian said, when I asked him to, to give advice to freshmen, he said, hmm, you know, go to the stupid cookouts, man, and that's like one of my favorite pieces of advice, because of the tone Uh, There are some of you that are like social butterflies and want to come to all the things, but for many of us, especially when the seasons get like they're about to become sort of thing, we we tend to sort of isolate uh, and, and hide and not make good decisions. There's some amazing men's and women's retreats coming up, and you ought to say yes to something like that. If you have responsibilities at work or to family, please don't bail on those responsibilities. If you're being responsible for school, please don't bail on that. Jesus would call you to be faithful to those things that you're responsible to. But if you just need to do laundry, we'll do it some other time. Uh, and if you can study around the retreats, d- do that we 'll have you home before lunch on Sunday, uh, and you probably would just take Saturday off watching Netflix anyway uh, or whatever the whatever the thing you do is um. But, but say yes to things like that, and, and, and don't forsake gathering together when that's really healthy for you and stuff like that. Especially if you're, like, alone and don't have a lot of friends or want to get deeper into community. Um, it's a great way to do it. So, anyway, that's a large tilt on retreats. Uh, let's pray so I can get into the sermon. Father, um, send your Spirit tonight um, to minister to us, especially as we speak about your prophets and the way in which you move toward us prophetically. Um, that's hard stuff, God. You know it. Send your Spirit to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds that we might receive whatever it is you have to say to us. Comfort us in our affliction. Lord, so many of us in in the world and so many of us in this room long for and need your comfort in the places we're afflicted, but so too do we need you to afflict us in our comfort, and that's not something we ask for very much. And yet there are so many areas of comfort that steal life from us and keep us... um, from living lives worthy of the calling that you've given us. So, Lord, tonight we say yes to you and and, and, uh, ask you to um, wisely afflict us in the places where we're comforted and call us into better ways of life. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Would you put, um, Tucker, you're up on the thing, yeah? Uh, would you put Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 11? I looked at the light and said, so no, I can't read my screen. Uh, this one. Second um, Samuel 11. We're going to be in Second Samuel. We're going to be looking at Ezekiel 34. Um, uh, I won't be reading it up on the screen, but we read Acts chapter 3, so if you've got a Bible or want to know kind of where we're going tonight, we're going to be in those passages. Um, this is from 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David, King David, this is King David of Israel, uh, he's, he's the one on uh, one of the, card, the deck of cards that you have. Um, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said... Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Sounds like it's feedback, it's so what I'm trying to tell him. I don't know if you know the rest of the story. It's a pretty famous one in the history of the Bible. Um, there's some Psalms written about this encounter. Uh, David sends for this Bathsheba. He sleeps with her. They conceive a child. When David finds out that she's pregnant, he arranges for her husband to be killed. It's, it's super deceptive. He actually finds out she's pregnant and sends for him, her husband, to come home to sleep with her because he's hoping that this guy can't do math, you know, and that he'd be gone back to war long enough that he'll remember coming home, having sex with his wife, and then going back to war. And when he comes back for more, his wife will have had a kid, and this guy will never know that it was David's kid. That's David's plan. Uriah comes home, and Uriah sleeps in the doorway of his house, probably to the chagrin of his wife. But in a very honorable way that would melt many of our hearts, he slept in the doorway of his house because he, unlike his king, said, I will not rest, essentially, and enjoy my wife and enjoy the comforts of my home while all of my people are at war. And so he slept in the doorway of his house and then went back to war. David finds out about this. Uriah did not sleep with his wife, so David arranges to have him killed. And then David marries this woman. And they proceed to have more kids. This is Jesus' lineage, by the way. These are the people of God. And this, in the words of 2 Samuel chapter 11, this, and I quote, displeases the Lord. And so, what does God do when his king acts this way? He sends a prophet. Prophets litter the pages of Scripture. Abraham was a prophet, Moses a prophet, Samuel. Nathan, Elijah, Huldah, Hosea, Amos, Jonah, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Malachi. They're all over the history of God's people, prophets. And they're not unique to Israel. It's not just like a, a, an Israelite or a Christian thing, prophets. In the ancient Near East, virtually every religious group had prophets. People who speak to the people on behalf of God or their gods. Prophets see what others don't. Or they have a message from God for a moment such as this. So prophets are often called to speak into very particular things. They spoke on behalf of the divine. This is what prophets did. And when David, lounging during a time of war... Not being faithful to his responsibilities, sleeping during the middle of the day, lusting after another man's wife, having sex with her, conceiving a child, devising a plan for deception, and ultimately killing her husband and marrying her. Well, when he does that, it displeases the Lord. Praise God that he's against such things, yeah? What does God do? What's his response to that? He sends a prophet. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses one the beginning of verse 7. And the Lord sent Nathan, who is this prophet, to David. And he came to him and he said, David, he tells David a parable of sorts. You you should imagine David lounging again because this is what David is doing during this time. Probably feeling some sort of weird conscience conflict with regards to what he has just done about all of this. If if he's like any of us, he's probably hiding in his sin. And, And Nathan walks in, and David's the king, remember, Nathan walks in and Nathan says this, King David, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, cute little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it up, and he brought it up, sorry. And it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him, this little lamb. And now there came a traveler to the rich man, And he was unwilling to take... That was the poor man, now the rich man. There was a traveler who came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him, which means dinner. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives... The man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're the man. I don't know if you can imagine this moment and how charged it would be. Nathan's very life was at risk saying this story. And this, is, this may be helpful to know about prophets, but we don't like Prophets. As a matter of fact, people often want to kill prophets. You don't invite prophets over for dinner. You don't hang out with them. They're weird, eccentric, and it could be difficult to trust them in the moment. Who knows if their prophecies are correct until time bears out. And most of all, they say really hard things. If you are somebody who who has some prophetic gifts, maybe you know this. If you don't, you should know this, that most of your friends don't like it when you start getting on that prophet box. We don't like prophets. I'll argue in a moment that God always sends prophets for the purpose of blessing, but words of challenge almost always come first out of prophets' mouths. Words of affliction. Prophecy is always, in a word, it's always distressing. That's the best word I can think of because it's not always deconstructive. God sends His prophets to people in suffering and tells them things like, wait, It's not always deconstructive. It's not always... I don't know. It's it's always... I almost use the word disruptive. But I think distressing might be a really good word. It, it, It seems to create a degree of anxiety and stress in people often when the prophets first speak their words. It's distressing. God sent Nathan because God wanted to speak and act against injustice. And also because he wanted the king to live in a new way. But when Nathan points his finger at David, who just said... That a man like that rich guy in your story ought to be killed. Actually, from the text, David doesn't know in the narrative that this is a parable. It's just like Nathan came in to tell David about what just happened. Do you see that? King David, there was a rich man and a poor man. It's, it's shaped like a parable, but he doesn't say, I have a story to tell you. And so David stands up and says, that man ought to die. David just said that the guy who acted that way ought to die. And Nathan points his finger at him and says, That's you, David. And I hope you see why. I hope it's not too abstract for you. David has, uh, if you if you read the stories of David, literally he's like this guy who wrestled bears and lions and defeats giants. W- w- there's literally a section of Scripture where it talks about women writing songs about him, singing, Saul kills his thousands, but David is ten thousands. You know, I mean, like, and, and he's dancing through the street with his underwear on, and people are staring at him. Like, there's a sense in which David is like, uh, he's got a big Instagram following, you know? Um and, and sort of thing, and, and David has his choice of anything, and this one man and his wife, who were poor but devoted to one another, David goes in and steals the, the life and the marriage of this, and Nathan tells him a story that is really a parable about David, right? So David says, that man ought to die, and, and Nathan says, that's you, David, and you better believe that's distressing for David in that moment. It's probably distressing for Nathan, too. But this is what prophecy looks like. Even though the purpose of prophecy is not just to speak against evil, it's to bring about repentance and blessing. Listen, the purpose of prophecy is to bring about repentance and blessing. The scripture that was read tonight, just a little bit ago, is from Acts chapter 3, where Peter talks about Jesus being the prophet that was spoken about by Moses, the one for whom we look to Jesus is this prophet who, who came to bring about, Peter says, times of refreshing, and to bring blessing to his people and through his people to the whole world. The purpose of prophecy, like all things God does, is blessing. But you know it would have been hard for David to believe that in the moment. When Nathan's sitting in front of him and says, that's you, do you think David would have immediately went, oh, thank you so much, I needed to hear that, that's so good for me, you're right, I thought it was the rich man, that's really me. You know, uh, if you actually read it in Hebrew, it's, 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 there's a weird word play going on because the Hebrew word for sheep is bat, which sounds, it's the beginning of the word Bathsheba. And so as David's telling this story about this little sheep, he's actually saying her nickname the entire time in Hebrew. You know, and David's found out, you've got to believe, David, even though God wants. For his king to act in different ways and for there to be a different way of life in the land. And David on his sober days would say, yes, that's good. In the midst of his sin and being called out, there's no way David in that moment when Nathan says, that's you who ought to die. David goes, thank you, God. I'm so grateful for you, Nathan. If you've ever been confronted regarding your sin, even if the motives are pure in the person confronting you, sometimes they're not. But even if it's somebody who loves you, and here's how you you know, by the way, that if if you want to confront somebody else in their sin, here's how you know if you're the right person to do it, because it'll hurt you as much as it'll hurt them. How dare you go to somebody and confront them if it doesn't wound you too? What an abuse of power in a way. If you want to know if a friend of yours loves you and they're uh, confronting you of sin, it's because it wounds them to confront you. Which is why it's such an amazing act of love. The Proverbs tell us that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Because a friend hurts with us when they wound us. Anyway, I I don't have that in my notes. I just wanted to make that clear because some of us get off on liking to call people out on something, and some of us have trouble just receiving wisdom when people are confronting us with regards to our sin. Look for the people that are taking risks and being vulnerable as they um, confront you in those things. But if you can think of a time when you've been confronted for sin... And you even know that their motives might be okay and that the sin is obvious. Like, it's super obvious that this isn't a good thing or isn't a good pattern of life. It's really hard in that moment to believe that it's for my good that I'm confronted, yeah? When somebody confronts you, I mean, how often do you go, thank you so much? You know, it's really, oh my gosh, sweet. You know, like, you don't do that when they confront you, right? Prophecy is distressing. It's hard to receive. Yesterday, I posted a statistic and an article on a group me that a bunch of people in this room are in. I don't know why you'd want to be a part of group me, but if you do, there you go. You can find out about it. Um, it was about cell phone and social media usage. Uh, <laughs> nobody, Everybody in here is like, don't talk about it. Uh, if, you, if, if I told you, check this out, if I told you that you could have less anxiety, better sleep, more hours in the day, more contentment, and a greater sense of tranquility in your emotions, you would want that blessing, right? Doesn't that sound great? but you can only have it if you change how you're living. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, When you're confronted with that sort of thing, it's distressing. Like, there's people that probably won't even click on that because they know what's coming, even if they totally agree. Like, I haven't heard anybody say, no, you don't understand. All of my social media use actually helps me emotionally. I've never heard anybody say that. Just anecdotally, I've never heard somebody say, you know, I know statistics be damned. I actually, um, I feel more rested when I get up in the middle of the night and look at my likes. No, I've never heard anybody say that. We all know in some, even if it's not, even if we don't have all the words for it, haven't talked about it or seen it right now, we all have this intuitive sense that this probably isn't that great for us. Every article I read about it, it's like, well, yeah, you know, there, there, was a, there was a brief season maybe 10 years ago or so, maybe it was a little longer ago, where a couple of articles came out, like in the uh, New York Times and other things, where it was like, maybe pornography's not that bad. And you're reading it and you're like, yeah, right. Uh, and then quickly after, it's like, no, nah, never mind. It's terrible. It's like train wrecking marriages. It's train wrecking confidence. It's train wrecking intimacy. Uh, it, it's impacting not only libido, but trust issue. I mean, everything about it is terrible. Not to, not to sp- even come close to speaking into yet— how it contributes to the sex trafficking of people around the world. Like, there's certain things like this that we know immediately are not good for us, and yet, to change. Yet, in order to to partake in those blessings, in order to receive the goodness that's being offered, in order to have less anxiety, in order to have better nights of sleep, in order to have more uh, regulation in my emotions, and more, a, a greater sense of contentment, in order to have hours back in my day, Oh, that sounds so wonderful, but not if I have to change. It's hard to receive that. You can know that it's right and good and still resist it. Prophecy often has that kind of dynamic to it, friends. God sends his prophets to confront injustice, to confront sin, to confront ways of life which don't look like his kingdom. His aim is to bring about his kingdom, which is good, and it promotes human flourishing. But he sends his prophets where things don't look that way. He sends his prophets against them, and people resist, right? A king who is using his power to avoid his responsibilities, to abuse his his power with women, to murder men and devise cover-up schemes, thank God that he is against those things. Yeah. Amen. But when we are in David's shoes and God speaks prophetically into our lives, it's distressing. It's hard to accept when we're not being faithful with our responsibilities, when we harm each other with our bodies, when we cover up sin, when we do such things and God speaks against it, even if it's for our good, which it always is, we, we resist it. It's so difficult. And so anyone who doesn't use a cell phone much or who is off social media reads what I posted and is like, yep, totally. Everybody read this. They've shared it 10 times. But if those articles and statistics are about you, it's super hard to open that up and read it. It's distressing. It's I want to look at another example from scriptures. Unless you're in a Pentecostal church, <laughs> uh, we, we just don't talk very much about prophets and prophecies. And I want you to recognize what prophecy looks like. Look, it's 25% of the Old Testament. And I just listed a bunch of prophets. You can listen to it on our podcast if you really want the list again, but you can also Google. Uh, you probably didn't either. But um, but prophets are are all throughout. The Bible, and yet so few of us have any categories for them. Much like uh, when I talked uh, two weeks ago, I talked about the promised land and the kings. And so few of us know much at all about that. And Kirsten talked about priests, which are all over the scriptures. From beginning to end, Jesus is our great high priest. And, 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 and yet often we're like, what's the point? Why are you talking about priests? We just don't have categories for these things. And so I, I want to tell you some of what prophecy is about. About it's, it's not just telling about the future, Although it often entails some of that. And so if you could put up that little, it's a brief kind of dumb quote about prophecy or prophets or something. Forth telling, forth telling. Prophets always forth tell and often foretell. So they speak the truth and bring it forth. That's forth telling. Prophets are always doing that. They're speaking truth into the midst of dark places. Always. And sometimes they tell about future consequences or blessings. If somebody is, is, is uh, and you should always, by the way, test prophecies. We're commanded to actually test spirits and prophecies and those kinds of things and not just believe all these things offhanded. People who, who, who listen to things that are taught and then go home and examine the Scriptures are actually commended by the Apostle Paul. He actually tells another church, you ought to be like the Bereans who did that, who, who didn't just take what I said, who examined and thought through this, the Thessalonican church, a really young church, Paul would say test spirits and prophecies because there's a bunch of bad ones out there. There are false prophecies. I've been stopped. I've gone to some churches before where I've been stopped at the outside of the door and somebody's like, hey, sir, can I, I have a word of prophecy I want to speak over to you, over you. And I'm like, all right. I mean, it sounds weird, but okay. Uh, but I mean, I'll sure, I'll take prophecy, you know, and I walk up and they lay their hands on me and they just say a bunch of intense stuff. And I walk away and I'm like, man, that was super weird. You don't know anything about my life? I'm I'm pretty sure that you were just trying to be self-important in some way. And it was an abuse of some weird thing. I I don't know what that is. I've had other people who've... Well, I'll tell you a story in a minute about a prophecy. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, We don't talk about prophets very much, okay? Anyway, whatever. We don't talk about it very much. Um, Prophets, though, always tell... Oh, I know what it was. Testing these things. They always tell truth... And so if somebody's speaking prophetically to you, you should measure that against what God has been speaking to his church through his scriptures and through the Holy Spirit and unity with the church for the last couple millennia. Okay, it's, it's likely. I'm going to say it, it is true, but just for the sake of your conscience or your skepticism, I'll say probably. How about probably? It's probably true that um, a 20-year-old in this room is not going to discover something new that the church has never stumbled upon before for your life. Probably. So if somebody in this room comes to you and says, I have, I have it on God's word that you should blank, 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 there are two things you should do. If it's about truth, measure it against his word. If it's about the future, you can wait and see if it plays out. Actually, Moses, God through Moses instructed his people, do you know how you can tell a false prophet from a real prophet if they're talking about the future? See if what they say comes true. It's not that complicated. If they're like, you're going to marry such and such, well, see if they do. You know, like, or whatever. Does you know, that make sense? Uh, you're supposed to test these things. Okay. Um, but prophets, what prophets do, they speak the truth. And I wanted to make this distinction for you because sometimes in the way we culturally use prophets, it's all future talk. And there is some future talk in almost all the prophets. But it's mostly about the fact that they're bringing truth in the midst of darkness. And so this example I'm about to read is from Ezekiel 34. This is a prophecy against the leaders of God's people. Maybe you don't know this, but almost all of the hard stuff in the Old Testament that spoke, and, and the New, almost all the hard stuff that's spoken is actually spoken to God's people, not to outsiders. And so this is one that's spoken to the leaders of God's people. This is not to outsiders. This is the leaders of insiders from Ezekiel 34. We'll just read verses 1 through 8. It goes on quite a bit, but um, I'll read it from the screen. I think I might have a different translation here. The word of the Lord came to me. This is to um, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. Son of man, which was Ezekiel's title. Jesus later picked up that title as well. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Who's this prophecy for? It's against the leaders of God's people prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. This is a very formal prophecy. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. By, By the way, where are all those things coming from? The sheep. Right, those are all things that come from a sheep. Instead of feeding them, you're you're taking all these things from them for yourself. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Even in God's prophecy, you can see what God actually desires for his leaders to do and be like, yeah? Not those things. Let's keep reading. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts, my sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, and none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Tension. Tension. Next slide. That's what tension means. It's black. Okay, I'll read it to you on here. Uh, uh, Let's see, where was I in the text? Because my shepherds did not search for my flock or my sheep, but cared for themselves rather than for the sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. This is what a prophecy sounds like. I feel like this is a safe one in part because it's not probably about you. Um, And so it's a bit easier to see the value of prophecy and why we should thank God for sending prophets when it's not about us. You see that? Like, Like if you've seen a leader who takes advantage of their people and gets fat on them... How, how unbelievably unjust that is and that seems. And don't we long for leaders that, 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 that race to the bottom and build people up? That lay down their lives for others. God would say a little bit later in the same exact chapter through the prophet Ezekiel, therefore I will be their shepherd. And when Jesus at one point is walking through the towns doing miracles and healing people, he actually says, the scriptures tell us that he had compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. And so he ministered to them, and he told his disciples to pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he would raise up laborers for the harvest, because he doesn't want his sheep scattered. Interestingly, he even restores a kind of shepherding within his church, too. It's really, really wild stuff. It's a glorious surprise that God would say that. But listen, there's forth telling and foretelling in this. The forth telling is the shepherds, you're abusing your power. I'm going to speak truth. You are not leading in the way that I want my people to lead. That's telling the truth. The foretelling is, is him saying, God will take care of the sheep. God will take the sheep from you, and he's going to shepherd them himself. His, himself. So this guy, Ezekiel, he comes up to the leaders of God's people and he says, Hey, leaders of God's people, I have a word for you. Notice there's something even similar about what happened to David, Nathan. Hey, Nathan, or David, I have something to tell you from God, right? Uh, uh, Ezekiel, I have a word from God for you. God is against you. <laughs> That's what Ezekiel says. Hey, I have something to tell you from God. He's against you. That's super intense. Like, how would you receive that? Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to know that God is aware of these things. And, you know, whatever, I don't know. Prophecy carries this kind of edge, this distressing vibe to it. But get this. If you're Bathsheba, living during the life of David, or you're some other soldier in the army that saw Uriah get placed at the front, and you know why? Because rumors spread, especially amongst God's people, even though we're not supposed to gossip. It tears apart communities, and it's a sin but if you're Bathsheba, or you're a soldier in that army, or are you grateful that God sent his prophet Nathan to confront David? Are you grateful that God isn't blind to the injustice and comes against it and demands another way of life? If you're one of the people of Israel during the time of Ezekiel, that passage we just read, and you've seen the shepherds get fat off you, and we're all scattered and distressed, the, the, the text would go on to say they muddy the, very wa- the shepherds sh- muddy the very waters that the sheep are supposed to drink out of. If you're one of the people, not the shepherds, if you're one of the people during that time, are you grateful that God is coming against the leaders? The leaders who are fattening their own stomachs and wallets while the people that they lead are suffering. Yes, of course you're grateful. Here's the thing. It's not that we don't like prophets. It's that we don't like them when they're speaking to us. We actually love prophets when they're speaking about other people's sins. Over and over in the Old Testament, God sends his prophets against injustice, against the neglect of the poor, against marital unfaithfulness, against hypocrisy in leaders, and we are grateful for that unless we neglect the poor, or unless we are sexually immoral, or unless we live as hypocrites. Then it's really hard to receive it, right? And yet, prophets come bringing blessing through repentance. Jesus' first, do you know Jesus' first words in his public ministry? Does anybody know? I, don't know? I don't know what image you have of Jesus, but when Jesus walked out of the tabernacle one day and launched his public ministry, first words out of his mouth. Anybody know? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Blessing, his kingdom is the hope and the promise, but the invitation is to Change. That's what repent means, by the way. It's a big Bible word, uh, and often it just sounds scary because our vision isn't Jesus. Our vision is of a really angry guy on a milk crate at the corner of a festival um, that tells everybody they're going to hell, um, and that that's our, our vision of repent is somehow associated—for me, it's associated with that guy at Dragon Con, okay, um, and, and that that's what he's doing. Um, I, I like to share that as much as I can, um, that I like Dragon Con. Anyway, um, but listen, repent, it, it, what repent literally means is it means to change your mind in such a way that your life has, it takes a new direction to it. Repent, lit, it means to change your mind. Often it has like a 180 degree uh, implication in it, like turn around. But not just in your thought, it's, it, but it actually starts there. It, it literally means to change your mind in such a way that actions begin to follow that change. And this is Jesus's first words in his public ministry, change. Why can you change? Why is now the time? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. The kingdom is its hope and its promise, but his invitation, his calling, is for you to change, to repent. Fourteen years ago, in the spring of 2005, I called my grandmother, Donna Mae Dempsey. I didn't call her Donna Mae Dempsey, that's her name. Um, but I called her to tell her that I was, I was moving to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, to take this job with this little college ministry called The House that nobody knows about. And you see... Um, she wasn't just my grandmother. She was my spiritual mother. Since the day God brought me into the world, she prayed for me. If I, if I went to church growing up, it was because I was visiting her. She bought me my first Bible when I was 10. I have it. Highlighting a verse from James. I don't even remember what it says now. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I should figure that out. Uh, I was sharing it with Kirsten today because it was actually, ironically, super prophetic. Uh, but um, but she, she highlighted this first verse to me. Um, and, and my grandmother, although she was a spiritual mother to me, was also a hot mess. I mean, she carried with her dark secrets to the grave. Sin and evil had taken a toll on her life, but thanks be to God because of Jesus Christ, in whom there is no condemnation for her. She's liberated from her body of death and she now waits for me and all who will share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ in the age to come. So Donna Mae means quite a bit to me and I couldn't wait to share with her the news. So I called her up and I said, hey grandmother and she said, hey grandson because that's how we talked and so I'm like, soon after that I just started calling her old woman and she called me young man, well, which was super weird, but, um, but I said hey grandmother, uh, I got news for you I know you've been praying for me um, I, I got this job that I'm going to take in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, and she said did you say Chattanooga? And I said, yeah, you've heard of it? Uh, And she said, you're going to think this is crazy, but Hazel called me earlier this morning. And she had this dream, and and she's convinced this was from God, grandson. Uh, And in her dream, you met and married a woman in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I almost cussed at my grandmother. Um, (laughs) Because that's crazy, okay? Now look, Hazel was 96, Okay, Hazel, um, she met me at my grandfather's funeral and she decided because she met me at my grandfather's funeral, I don't know why, she she decided to financially and prayerfully support my work in ministry. And I'd only met her one other time other than my my grandfather's funeral. I went out to get lunch with her one time. Otherwise, it was just exchanging some thank you cards because she was financially supporting my pastoral work and ministry, right? She had no clue what I was thinking about doing in my life. She didn't know what the next step was. She she just knew uh, that that, that I was in college ministry. I I don't know what she thought, but uh, but she didn't know anything about Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, And so this was just wild to me that this 96-year-old woman had this dream that I would get married to somebody in Chattanooga, Tennessee when I didn't even know the word Chattanooga was a word, um, before I had decided this, and I'd never talked to her about it, and she called my grandmother, my gra- that morning, the morning that I, the, 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 I accepted the night before, and then the next morning, I called my grandmother, and she said, oh my gosh, Hazel had this dream. That's wow. My grandmother's mind was just sort of blown, right? Well, for those of you that really want to get married in life, somebody having a dream from God telling you that you're going to get married might sound really rad. It wasn't for me. Uh, I was super distressed and upset. First, I don't even know if I believe in this sort of thing. But 96-year-old having a dream about me in uh, and, uh, and Chattanooga was super weird. It was hard for me to shake that. That was really uncomfortable for me. Second, I, I don't want to get married anytime soon, if ever. I was at least, like, really, I had this number in my head. If I ever get married, it won't be at least till I'm 30, maybe 35. Earlier, maybe if I want to have kids, I don't even want to have kids. Like, I was just like, marriage was, oh, and, and that was a lot of wounding from previous relationships. And I was like, done with romance, you know. Um, but I was, I was not wanting this sort of thing, right? And, so, and, and third, this Chattanooga gig was only one year, and I remember saying word for word, I don't want to get stuck in the South. <laughs> um, uh, and so all of this wasn't encouraging for me. This woman who, who had this prophecy was not encouraging for me. It was confusing, and I felt trapped. This adventure I was so excited about all of a sudden felt like doom. So much so... But I can still remember the feeling of seeing this on Highway 24. I'll oh, show that picture. I remember driving through Highway 24 and seeing that. And f- my, my, my whole body, my feet were hanging out the window of my Chevy S10. It was in cruise control, and I was driving totally unsafe. And I remember looking out the right-hand side and seeing this sign and being filled with dread and praying. And my prayer was, please, God, No. That was, that was actually my prayer, okay? And for some of you who really want to get married, that, that might sound so crazy. This just all was like, Chattanooga was supposed to be this, like, fun adventure I could tell a story about one day. And then I was going to, like, a big city. I had plans to go to the seminar. I had all these things, you know? And then this old lady had to have a prophes- prophecy for me, you know? And so I remember seeing this sign, and I was so frustrated, right? Because you see, to me, the prophecy that came through the dream wasn't comforting. It was afflicting. It disrupted my life and my dreams and my comfort. It made me question my plans and it brought me to pray and in the end to open my hands up to what God had in store for my life. Last year uh, at the discernment retreat, which is coming up in December, I asked a question to the attendees. I said uh, at one point during a QA, I think, I don't remember exactly when it was, but I think it was during the QA, I said uh, in a really wonderfully sober moment. I said, let's be honest for a minute. If God actually, you all think that what you want is answers. If God told you right now exactly what he wanted you to do with your life, how many of you would actually say yes? Spend 10 minutes in prayer and then come back and let's talk. And I don't think a single person said that they would say yes. That they all had this moment I was like maybe it's not just direction that I'm waiting for. Maybe I would resist it if he told me what to do. Maybe if God gave me the answers I'm looking for, I would still resist. Maybe. And and it it was a very fruitful discussion. But I remember having this moment that many of us might long for. You might not believe in it. I don't know what your Christian tradition sort of says about these sort of things. But I had this woman, I swear to you guys, it was a weird moment of prophecy that that came true. I I feel called to, like, stay in Chattanooga for the rest of my life. I I, I don't, I think, I, I pray for that. I love this city. I love people in this city. And I think our, our generations are starved for, for a lack of rootedness. And I want to be a part of the, the, the flip of that, you know? And I'm really excited about it, right? But this woman, like, I mean, I don't, y'all, it, it played out. and So it seems like by history, it's true. My wife's super thankful that I, that, that prophecy was there. I was super thankful. I'm super thankful now. And, and it, ha- it, was, it was nuts. But you might hope for the clouds to part and for God to, like, give you the exact sign. I submit to you, if it's prophetic, it's probably going to be a bit distressing if it's prophetic. That was a very distinct kind of prophecy. I mean, a 96-year-old having a dream from God and then telling your grandmother to tell you about it's specific. But I, I bet if you asked, I bet if you asked, there's actually a number of stories like that in this room. I bet if you begin to ask each other about those kinds of things. But the prophetic voice in God's kingdom doesn't always look so specific, and, and, so, and I, I Tonight has really been about two kind of things. One, I want you to know what 25% of the Old Testament's about, and it's about God sending people, into, sending prophets to his people because he doesn't give up on them, and he sends them into dark places to tell them to repent because he wants a new way of life for them. Okay? On one hand, I just want you to know what 25% of the Old Testament's about so that if you ever come across it or read it, you know kind of what's going on. But the other reason I want you to know about this is because God still speaks to us prophetically all the time. And it doesn't always look like somebody having a dream, although right now, if you've heard reports coming out of the Middle East, tons and tons and tons, like the majority of people who are becoming Christians in the Middle East are becoming Christians because of, of dreams, because of dreams. Um, so, so maybe it just doesn't look that way here for us, I don't know. But, but God speaks prophetically through His Word, taught and proclaimed. He speaks prophetically through friends who keep telling you the same thing over and over and again, but you're not listening. He speaks through trends and themes which seem to come up again and again in our life. It's distressing and disruptive, but God is moving toward us always for our good. And so there's this question I want to pose to you. What if when you are experiencing frustration with God, what if when you're experiencing resistance from God, what if you're experiencing that precisely because He does love you And he's doing prophetic work in your life. Friends, God never gives up on his people. He will not give up on you, which sounds wonderful some days. Sometimes it sounds terrible. When he comes at us prophetically, you know, come at us all sorts of ways, but when he comes at you prophetically, through the word or through our friends or through his spirit at work in our conscience, He's doing so because he hasn't given up. Because he loves us and is eternally bent on offering us his kingdom and leading us into new ways of life. It is preci- this is not hard for us to believe at an outside perspective in different arenas. It's the greatest athlete on the team that gets the most amount of attention and focus and work. It's the student with the most potential that does the hardest work, right? It's precisely because I love my kids that I don't leave them alone. When one of my kids, I have one kid right now that is um, really hard for my wife and I, honestly. She's just really hard. She loses it almost every day. Her teacher's like, she's an angel, and we're like, not at home, you know? And and that's okay. If it, the home should be the place where you don't have to have it all together, but it's really taxing and tolling. And this kid, I mean, is like screaming and throwing herself on the floor and almost bringing herself to the point of throwing up and there's nothing that comes down. And it's so, you, you gotta understand, it's, Easier for me to say, Go to your room and shut the door and walk away. It's easier for me to outsource her to the public education system. It's easier for me to throw her into the youth program at my church and say, You teach her how to follow Jesus. Do you understand that? It's easier for me to leave. And that's precisely when she should be worried, is when my wife and I give up. We won't. But if we did, do you understand that would be the really hard sign? The fact that I'm in it with her. The fact that I might be saying hard things to her. The fact that I'm, I'm, I'm moving toward her even when she says, Rah! She, she says lots of things, good night. Uh, but like I'm doing that. It's hard for me. It's hard for my wife. But we, we love her and we will not give up. We will not give up. And we believe part of what's actually good for her. And it's so f- fascinating. At that age, there's just something about grudges. They don't get held as long. There's more resiliency at that age than there is for many of us. The wounds just don't seem to cut quite as deep in weird ways, right? And so it's so fascinating. Like, I, she's, she's not even six yet. And, and she has these moments where she's like, I want to be alone. And later I'm like, did you really want to be alone? And she's like, no, not really. You know what I mean? And like, she's like really thankful that we don't give up and that we move toward her. And, and, and you, I don't know if you've developed a taste for that yet with the Lord. Because my suspicion is tonight that for many of us, when we experience the Lord coming at us in prophetic ways, that we think He doesn't like us. But I think it's precisely the opposite. He, he's, he disciplines the ones He loves, is what the Proverbs say, is what the Hebrew writer says, and that's tough words, we don't like the word discipline today. But you recognize that, again, on a sports team, you recognize that in good work, you recognize that in, every, in any environment other than relationship for whatever reason. And yet, my friends who love me best are the ones who are willing to wound me sometimes for the sake of me. So, too, with God, He's more faithful than our friends. And I don't know if you've developed a taste for the prophetic voice yet. And I want to invite you to know that if God is speaking prophetically to you, it is precisely because He has not given up on you and He loves you and there is new life to be had. But, probably the way, if it's prophetic, Probably the way to enjoy the blessings of what he has to offer is through change. So I know that right now, even today, God is bent on leading you into a new way of life. Right now, for every single one of us in this room, I know that that's true. And my prayer is that you would listen to him and that you would say yes. If you have developed a pretty healthy group of friends, or if you have some mentors that love you and that are wise and that you respect, you can actually get a, get a good angle on some of the prophetic work by just asking them. Y'all probably all have friends that, that aren't you, of course, but that you, you'll, you'll look at others and you'll go, man, like everybody knows that's a terrible relationship. We keep trying to tell them, but they're not listening. You know? We all have those kinds of things going on in our life that people around us who love us see and know. And, and friends, it is a, a certain kind of maturity and wisdom to ask to give them permission to speak truthfully to us in order that we might embrace a better way of life. God is often at work in that way. So I hope tonight that you'd say yes to him, that you would not run from his prophetic voice wherever it is, especially in this season, but that you would learn that he is saying, if he is saying hard things to you, it's precisely because he hasn't given up on you, and he's inviting you into new ways of life. So say yes to him, to Jesus who promises to never leave or forsake you, and who loves you enough to enter into the mess with you and to speak truth to you and to offer you his kingdom I want to take a moment before we come to the communion table and remember uh, who he is (laughs) Um, uh, to tell you there's folks in the back who love to pray with you Um, Kirsten and I are full-time intern staff we have student staff student interns here that would absolutely love to meet with you and talk with you about what this might look like how to pray how to how to take a next step and saying yes to Jesus however that might be Um, the, the trick is friends unless Hazel calls me she's dead but unless she calls me I don't know what you think about Saints uh, but unless she calls me, um, I don't know that you need to talk. I don't know that stuff. If, if, if I'm your close friend, I do know that you need to talk and I'm hoping you'll give me permission, okay? <laughs> but um, but if, I, if I'm not like your close friend and I'm not walking with you daily, um, I need to know. And so come ask me. and I'd love to spend some time with you and pray with you through that and talk with you. So Kirsten or any members of our staff and student leadership, okay? But let's take a minute before we come to the table. Um, I'll, I'll pray for us real quick. Leave us maybe a minute of silence because we have so little of that in our life. And I just want to invite you to pray to God and ask Him how He might be speaking to you prophetically and what it might look like for you to say yes to Him. So let me pray for you. Father, um, thank you for not giving up on us. Even for your hard words, Lord, I, I, I know that um, from my own experience, it is uh, hard to say yes to you right when you speak those things. I pray like, um, like an acquired taste that my friends in this room are able to... Um, begin to more and more know what your voice sounds like, to trust that you are for us and not against us, and that if you're for us, who in the heck could be against us? And that you will never stop and you will never give up and you will eternally hold out hope for us to have new life. Help us to trust that and know that, maybe especially in uh, this sacrament of communion. Right now in the next... um, few seconds of silence would you send your spirit to draw near and may every single one of us know that if uh, if we are convicted by anything then it is your spirit who's drawn close already um, if there's somebody that we need to be speaking a, a prophetic word to help us to do that in wisdom and in love and not from positions of safety Lord, help us say yes to you